I was thinking I should have kept the kids here for this, but none of them are probably old enough to remember it. Let's see if any of you do. Sesame Street, but what specifically Sesame Street? It's Christmas Sesame Street. Yes, thank you. That was very astute. Three years after I was born, I'll let you Google and then do the math, Christmas Eve on Sesame Street was released. And so some of my earliest memories were watching that Christmas special year after year, watching Big Bird as he worries because Oscar told him that Santa's too big to get down the chimneys watching Bert and Ernie enact their own version of that Christmas story, The Gift of the Magi, and watching Cookie Monster try to write a letter to Santa only to eat the typewriter and then the pencil and then eventually the phone when he finally tries to call. And in the midst of all of the drama came that song, Keep Christmas With You, all through the year, and when Christmas is over, you can keep it near. Think of this Christmas day when Christmas is far away. Keep Christmas with you all through the year. When Christmas is over, save some Christmas cheer. These precious moments, hold them very dear. And keep Christmas with you all through the year. I bring it up because, interestingly, the original Christmas special, Christmas Eve in Bethlehem, concluded with the exact same sentiment as this song. Because, you see, Mary, the mother of Jesus, did exactly this after the first Christmas. You know, the gospel, the good news, is that that first Christmas, God drew near. And Mary's response was to draw near to Him. God drew near, and her response was to draw near to Him. As the song says, these precious moments hold them very dear. And that's what we're going to see Mary, the mother of Jesus, did. She didn't allow the moments just to come and to go, quickly passing, momentarily lighting upon her, and then departing without leaving a mark. Instead, she thought of that Christmas day when Christmas was far away. Friends, the danger, the danger of any experience, of any truth, of any relationship, is that if we let it come and go really quickly, it doesn't have a time to leave a mark on us. It doesn't have time to change us. God had drawn near, and Mary was not going to let that go. She wasn't going to miss that. She wasn't going to miss that moment, that experience. She wasn't going to let the reality pass without allowing it to change her. And the question for you and for me is, what about us? I mean, this week we celebrated the gospel. We celebrated the good news that God has drawn near. Christ is born. The angels sang. The shepherds marveled. But now are we just going to let it pass so quickly? 
that it doesn't leave a mark on us? Will we let this truth, this experience, just momentarily alight upon us without making any difference? You know, yesterday we removed all the decorations and Joshua and I took our dry, dead, needle-shedding tree to the transfer station before it burst into flames spontaneously. I don't think anybody watered it from the time we brought it in the house. My family repacked the stockings, the candles, the nativity scene in boxes. The celebration of Christmas might have passed, but will the truth of Christmas leave a lasting mark on us? Will the gift of Christmas remain with us? Will the memory and the reality that God has drawn near in Jesus Christ change us? Will we respond like Mary did by drawing near to him by these precious moments, holding them very dear, that the lasting truth, the impact of Christmas might make its mark upon us and be born on us throughout the years? And asking that question, let's pray together. Lord, you've already heard our prayer. I love the song, love the song that we sang. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you. Speak, O Lord. People are gathered here not because they need to hear Adam. They need to hear you. So speak, O Lord, as we open your word. And Lord, may it leave its mark. May you leave your mark on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Not an unfamiliar passage, one that we look at a lot over the Christmas season. Luke chapter 2 in the Pew Bible, it's 805. If you have a large print Pew Bible, it's 1018. Luke chapter 2. You're going to say, haven't I heard this a few times this Christmas season? You have, and you're going to hear it one more. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 15. We come to the, the end of the account that we usually read in Christmas. And it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Did you ever wonder where Luke got this account? He wasn't there. Luke was not even one of Jesus' disciples. Luke was a Gentile. He, he did not himself see or hear the events which he reports in his gospel. So where did he get the narratives about Jesus' birth? Well, consider how Luke opens his gospel. If you actually just turn a page or two back in, in Luke's gospel, you see he opens his gospel, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time in the past, to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. You see, these four verses, we break them up into sentences, but in Greek it's actually one long run-on sentence. 
And in classical Greek writing, which is really what Luke was doing, it served as an introduction. It was a very standard practice of the day. And in the introduction, he says, this is what I'm doing. And he says, I followed all these things closely for some time. I'm writing an orderly account. He mentions eyewitnesses. He mentions the testimony delivered to them. Luke says, I'm writing a serious history containing eyewitness accounts. And he probably felt the need to affirm that at the very beginning of his book. Because otherwise we might be tempted to read the Gospel of Luke or any of the other Gospels and dismiss them as mere legend and fantasy. Because the content of Luke's Gospel and the content of the birth story is utterly incredible. Angelic announcements, virgin births, divine intervention and divine invasion. And yet Luke is assuring us in his introduction, as incredible as some of these narratives appear, this isn't the stuff of legend. This is the stuff of history. I did my homework. These are eyewitness accounts. You know, some have tried to dismiss the accounts of Jesus that are recorded in Luke's gospel as legend or fable or myth. They were just imagined, made up by his early followers. But that's highly unlikely. Because Luke's and the other gospel accounts were written early. Just years after Jesus' life and death. So there wasn't the time needed for legends to have developed. But even more than that, if these stories had merely been fabricated by Jesus' followers, made up, since they were all written and circulated in the time of Jesus' contemporaries, people that had been there, if they wrote stuff that hadn't really happened, somebody could have stood up and gone, hold on, hold on, I was there. That's not how it happened. So Luke and the other gospel writers knew that they were going to be held accountable for what they wrote. Luke says, no, no, I'm writing a truthful account. These are eyewitness details. And he knew that as those gospels were circulated, people who had been there would have read them and they would contradict it if he wrote falsely. So Luke wrote accurately and truthfully. In fact, Luke was a historian of such excellence and thoroughness that Sir William Ramsey, one of the world's greatest archaeologists, wrote, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect to its trustworthiness. So the Gospel of Luke and his follow-up, the Acts of the Apostles, are trustworthy and true. Written by a true historian who'd done his homework and who'd gathered eyewitness accounts to be able to report to us. So who was Luke's source for the birth narrative? Well, we have a clue in today's reading. In the midst of the birth and the angels and the shepherds and the commotion and the confusion and all the celebration, Luke writes for us in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And you can actually see, if you kept reading in chapter 2, after we hear the story of the 12-year-old Jesus at the temple, Luke again records in chapter 2, verse 51, his mother Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. So friends, what we have here in Luke is Mary's eyewitness testimony of the birth of Jesus. These are Mary's remembrances, pondered for years, her recollections treasured in her heart, her testimony about Jesus' birth and his young life. 
Now, just as a brief aside, we can't downplay the significance that this is Mary's testimony. We need to remember that in the culture of that day, women could not give testimony in court because their testimony was considered unreliable. The Jewish Talmud taught any evidence which a woman gives is not valid. This is equivalent to saying that the one who is accounted a robber is qualified to give the same evidence as a woman. So women were considered as reliable as robbers. And yet, yet in the Gospel of Luke, from the very beginning to the end, we find that it's the testimony of women that is given and valued. It's the testimony of a woman that tells us about Jesus' entrance into the world. It is the testimony of women that tells us about Jesus' exit from this world because they were the ones who stood at the foot of the cross and watched him crucified. They were the ones who saw him buried. And it was God who chose women to be the very first witnesses of Jesus' re-entry into the world because it was women who witnessed the empty tomb, who first witnessed and saw the resurrection. So those who say Christianity disregards women don't understand this important truth. Some of the most important eyewitness accounts we have about Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection come from women like Mary. Christianity elevated women and their role far above the culture of their day. And so the story that we read and reread every Christmas church is most likely Mary's story. It's her testimony. It's the things that it says she treasured up, pondering them in her heart. These precious moments hold them very dear. She kept that first Christmas with her all through her years. You see, she didn't allow those moments to just come and go. Quickly passing, momentarily alighting upon her, and then departing without leaving any mark. It says she treasured and she pondered these things so that they left their mark upon her. And then Mary recounted these things to Luke to record so that they might leave their mark upon you today. And will they? Will these truths leave a mark upon you today? Luke records that Mary treasured and pondered these things. So what about you? You know, what do you treasure? What do you ponder? Because what you treasure in your heart and what you ponder, what you think about, shapes you. It leaves a mark on you. I mean, you probably heard the phrase, I'm going to chew on it. You know, the verb to ruminate means to think deeply about something. The word originated with the actions of cows. Cows ruminate, they chew on a cut of grass. And in the same way, we ruminate, not on grass, but on ideas, on thoughts. We chew on them, we meditate on them, we mull them over, we ponder them. And that's what Mary did. It says she didn't just experience these things and then move on to the next thing. She pondered them. She chewed on it. She thought about it. The Greek word literally means to throw together, like I'm tossing these things around in my mind, trying to make sense of them. I'm trying to figure out, I'm ruminating on these things, not just one and done. Not just I celebrated Christmas, check, on to the next thing. 
Not just, I read that scripture, check, I'm moving on to the next thing. Not just, I listened to that sermon, check, I'm moving on to the next thing. Not just one and done. I'm keeping these things in the forefront of my mind. I'm tossing them around. I'm chewing on them until they leave a mark on me. Is that what you do, friends? Do you ponder? Because the truth is, we ponder. We do ponder things. We ponder what we treasure, what we value. It says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. The Greek word here for treasure literally means to keep with. These were the things she kept with her. They were the things that she kept in the forefront of her thoughts. These are the things she treasured, she valued, in which she delighted. And so these are the things that she pondered. And they left a mark on her. Friends, will they leave a mark on you? If Christmas or any other scriptural truth or experience is just one and done, if you allow it to just pass quickly, if you only allow it to momentarily alight upon your heart and your mind and then move on to something else, then no. No, none of these things are going to make much of a difference to you. None of these things are going to leave a mark on you. Because for these or any other scriptural truth to change us, we like Mary need to ponder them. We need to treasure them and keep them with us. You know, the Psalms, which was Israel's book of prayers, opens up with this very invitation. Psalm chapter 1 opens and says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Do you hear those two words? Delights and meditates. Doesn't that sound a lot like treasures and ponders? Blessed is the one who delights and meditates. Mary treasured and pondered. The events, the teachings, the precepts, the law of Scripture, if they're going to leave a mark on us, if they're going to have more of an impact on us than just in those fleeting moments when we sit in a church service or that time of our discipleship group meeting or those passing moments of prayer, we can't just be one and done. We need to treasure and ponder, delight and meditate. You know, the most basic meaning of the Hebrew word translated here as meditate is to murmur or to chatter. It means to repeat over and over and over and over. To ponder, to mutter, to even chatter. In fact, that same word was used of the chattering of the birds. They just kind of chatter on and on and on. In other words, something we keep in the forefront of our mind, in the forefront of our conversation, it's something that our mind is ruminating on, so our mouth chatters about it. Friends, we ponder what we treasure, we meditate on what we delight. And this passage from Psalm 1 says that the blessed one's delight is in the law of the Lord. It is what the blessed one treasures. I mean, think about something that you delight in. It could be a sport. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe a TV show. Maybe a movie franchise. Maybe another person. Do you ever think about that thing that you delight in? Of course, of course you think about things that you delight in. In fact, the problem with things we delight in is we can't help but think about them. In fact, you might have trouble falling asleep or wake up in the middle of the night always thinking about something in which you delight. And when your mind is idle, it's what your mind naturally shifts to. You start thinking about those things in which you delight. Your delight is what you treasure. It's what you naturally start chewing on, meditating on, thinking about. It's what you by default start pondering. And and do we ever talk about things that we delight in? Of course we do. 
If you delight in something, you can't help but chatter on and on and on about what you delight in. During the day, you bring it up in conversation. You seek other people who share that same interest. At night, you stay up late talking about that in which you delight. In fact, we all know that person, don't we? You know that person who delights in his sports team or her sports team? Not just faithful to catch every game, but maybe even rewatches games or at least specific plays. You know, who, who reads the commentaries, who memorizes stats, who studies the team's history, analyzes, has an opinion about the coach's strategy, and you don't know how to get him or her to stop talking about it because they so delight in their team. And are you and I like that with the things of God? We so delight in it. We so treasure it. It's always there. We're always ruminating on it. We're always looking to talk about it. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Mary treasured these things, and she pondered them in her heart. That which we treasure, we ponder. We meditate upon those things which we delight in, and those are the things that leave their mark upon us. It's those things that are going to shape and deform us. And friends, if you find that the Christmas celebration has little lasting effect on you, if you find that our weekly worship celebrations have little lasting effect on you, if you find that the Scripture seems to be making little impact upon your heart, your everyday life, I might ask, are you just going to it one and done? I've done it, check. And allowing these things to pass quickly. Allowing them to just momentarily alight upon your heart and your mind on Sunday morning or maybe briefly on a weekday and then you depart so you can move on to the next thing. Are the truth and the presence of the Word of God that in which you delight, that which you treasure, more than just a passing and momentary consideration, but that on which you ruminate, that on which you think, that which feeds and shapes you. This morning we sang, you're calling me to lay aside the worries of my day, to quiet down my busy mind and find a hiding place. Worthy. You are worthy. And is he? Church, is he? Is he worthy of your attention? Is he worthy of more than a casual, fleeting, passing consideration? Is he worthy of slowing down and laying aside other things that he might again become your focus? Is he worthy to be treasured and delighted in him? Is he worthy to ponder regularly and to meditate deeply upon? Friends, the gospel, the good news of Christmas is that God drew near to us. And so the question is, will we respond like Mary by drawing near to him? Will we delight in Him, treasure His presence, invite His presence by meditating on what He's said and done, draw near to Him by pondering His words and His actions? I read the story, or an account written by a missionary serving in Paraguay. And this is the story he told. He said, while I was sitting, or while I was serving, a Maka Indian named Raphael came and sat on my porch. I was eating... I went out to see what he wanted, and he responded, Ham Hanek Met. And again I asked what I could do for him, but his answer was the same. I understood what he was saying, 
but not its significance. I don't want anything. I have just come near. I don't want anything. I have just come near. I later shared the incident with the local veteran missionary, and he explained that was Raphael's way of honoring me. He really didn't want anything. He just wanted to sit on my porch. He found satisfaction and pleasure just being near me. And church, how about you? How about you? God drew near that first Christmas in His Son, Jesus Christ, and He invites us now to draw near to Him, to find satisfaction and pleasure just in being near Him. Not to just go through the motions, not to just rush through the celebrations, not just to check boxes so we can move on to the next thing, but to regularly slow down, lay aside, and draw near. To treasure His Word to delight in sitting in His presence, to ponder what He has done, to meditate on what He has said, to daily, regularly sit on the front porch and by faith draw near to the God who has drawn near to us. Friends, if you wish to keep Christmas with you all through the year, or more specifically, keep close to the One who came for us that first Christmas, then by faith draw near to the God who drew near to you. Church, as I've said before, and I'll say again and again and again, there is no more important practice to which you and I might commit ourselves than regularly breathing in the Scriptures and breathing out prayer. To not just going through the motions, not just checking boxes on our Bible reading program so we can move on to the next thing, but regularly and daily slowing down, laying aside and drawing near. I don't want anything I've just come near because He alone is worthy. Mary thought so. These precious moments, Mary held them dear because she wished to hold Him near. And as a result, her life and the lives of all those around her were changed. So friends, this coming year, what will you treasure In what will you delight? Upon what will you regularly meditate and ponder? And what will that shape you to be? Church, is He worthy? Let's pray together. Father, help us. We delight in all the wrong things. We treasure all the wrong things. And they crowd you out. May we learn to delight in you. May we learn to treasure you and you alone. May our hearts be brought to say that you alone are worthy. And as we meditate upon you, as we ponder you, as we draw near to you, Father, change us. Leave your mark upon us and then work through us, your people, your church, that your mark might be left upon Camden and the Midcoast and the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn number 154, What Can I Give Him?
our gathering ends and God now sends you. God has drawn near to us in Jesus Christ, so by faith now draw near to Him and go forth, inviting others to do the same, for He alone is worthy. Amen.